Dr. Anthony Fauci stepping down from public service, but an investigation into his ties to the infamous Wuhan lab are just beginning. China's influence coming in third among the top issues that could influence midterm voters. A joyous occasion in San Francisco, the milestone celebration marking hundreds of millions having quit the Chinese Communist Party. Joint drills begin between the U.S. and South Korea, plus 1,000 long-range missiles from Japan, both aiming to counter communist regimes in the region. And TikTok tracking keystrokes. A new report says everything typed inside the app's web browser could be collected. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Dr. Anthony Fauci is stepping down after decades of public service. But some lawmakers say that won't stop them from investigating him over allegations that he funded virus research in Wuhan, China. Let's take a closer look. And the CDC. Dr. Anthony Fauci, the nation's top doctor who became a household name during the COVID-19 pandemic, as many people vaccinated. is leaving office after five decades of service. In a Monday statement, Fauci says he'll step down in December as director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases and as chief medical advisor to President Biden. He stresses that he's, quote, not retiring, but pursuing the next phase of his career. While former President Trump has said... But Fauci is a disaster. President Biden praised Fauci on Monday, saying his work has touched all Americans' lives. Gain-of-function research has the potential to unleash a global pandemic. Fauci's retirement, meanwhile, comes as Republicans vow to investigate him over allegations that he funded virus research in Wuhan, China. Again in 2014, Dr. Fauci gave another grant to DASIC for SARS research in China. DASIC partnered with who? the Wuhan Institute of Virology. A slew of Republicans said Monday that Fauci's resignation won't shield him from a probe, with Senator Rand Paul vowing, quote, a full-throated investigation into the origins of the pandemic. And House Minority Whip Steve Scalise saying Fauci will have, quote, ample time in retirement to testify. Fauci, meanwhile, said this last month. Investigate me for what? For telling people to get vaccinated? For telling people to wear a mask? If they want to investigate me for that, Go ahead. And while Representative Andy Biggs accuses Fauci of, quote, conveniently resigning to avoid accountability, Fauci has previously denied that pressure from Republicans would cause him to quit. So because there are a lot of people who have ideas about conspiracies and, and changing minds and flip-flopping, that's not a reason to step down. Not at all. Reporting by Iris Tao, NTD News. The U.S. National Institutes of Health ended a sub-grant to the lab in Wuhan two years ago after the pandemic broke out. Starting in 2014, U.S.-based NGO EcoHealth Alliance was granted $3.7 million to study bat-related coronaviruses. It sent some of that money to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. The grant was suspended in 2020 because of concerns the grantees were failing to comply with conditions attached to the money. An NIH deputy director revealed those details earlier this month in a letter to Congressman James Comer. With U.S. midterm elections on the horizon, concerns over China's influence are rising. According to a midterm tracker, China became the third most searched topic across the U.S. early this month, adding it to a list of issues that could influence midterm voters. 
The new data marks China's highest ranking on this list since late May, when Axios first began tracking. Data also reveals that the top five districts searching for China were all in Pelosi's home state, California. Axios's analysis says the impact of Speaker Pelosi's visit to Taiwan has caught national attention. But it may extend farther, too. The China threat appears to be a hot topic in political campaigns from the UK to Australia. Last month, Britain's two prime minister candidates, Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak, debated on TV over who's tougher on Beijing. Sunak said China represents the biggest long-term threat to Britain. Responding to Sunak, Beijing said the British politician should not make an issue out of China or hype the so-called China threat. Over the weekend, bright banners, vibrant clothes and beautiful music filled the streets of San Francisco. The joyous occasion was actually to celebrate a milestone number of people quitting the Chinese Communist Party, a figure now in the hundreds of millions. NDD's Jason Blair was on the scene. Here in San Francisco, a group is celebrating a milestone. 400 million people have quit the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, and its affiliated organizations. That's according to data compiled by the New York-based Global Tuidong Center, which means the Quit the Party Center in English. It focuses on encouraging people to renounce their oath to the CCP. Many people who've renounced the CCP use aliases to protect themselves from reprisals. And that's a milestone number. That's a big number. And I think that it should scale even higher. And I think with that kind of number, it can wake people up who are not uh, Falun Dafa practitioners to understand the importance of why and why they should sign that as well. In honor of the milestone, hundreds of practitioners of Falun Dafa, also known as Falun Gong, gathered from around the Bay Area to hold a celebratory parade in San Francisco. I'm very happy. Now there's 400 million people quitting the CCP. The goal is not to just have people quit the party, but to learn the reality of the CCP's crimes against humanity. They did so many evil things there. Cultural revolution, you know, yeah, the student moment in Tiananmen Square. So many students killed. On June 4, 1989, after the pro-democracy student protest, the communist regime rolled out tanks and fired guns on college students in the heart of China's capital, Beijing. It's now remembered as the Tiananmen Square massacre. But I was in China that time. I don't know at all. They say no single student killed. All I, I can get is from the yeah, state-run media, radio, television. Xiong, like many other Chinese people, didn't learn the truth about the deaths until she traveled to the United States. I was part of the medical staff trying to rescue the students and citizens. Our hospital floors, it was like a river of blood. There was blood everywhere. We've never seen this before. It was like war. Zhang also said she remembers the propaganda news on television reporting no deaths, but what she witnessed was one death after another. After that, she made up her mind to move and seek freedom in the United States. For years, Zhang made calls to China encouraging people to quit the CCP. One time she called a dorm with six college students to expose the Communist Party and told them about the June 4th massacre. After they heard that, they were very shocked. 
After that, all six of them, some were about to officially join the party, some were part of the Young Pioneers and Communist Youth League, they all quit the CCP. Religious and ethnic groups are also persecuted in China. Since 1999, Falun Gong practitioners are continuously tortured, forced into labor camps, and even have their organs removed for surgical transplants while they're still alive. Truth, compassion, and forbearance is the, the exact opposite of lie, cheat, steal. The CCP does lie, cheat, and steal, as we know in tech and in politicians and politics. So the next step they do is like a gang, fear, force, extortion. That's what they've done with practitioners. Parade onlookers were able to learn about the practice and what the CCP has done. We never thought about like something like this is happening in the world. So it's kind of really sad that it's, it should be like the freedom to meditate. Down with communism! Down with communism! Chinese people, quit the Communist Party! Woo! I think, you know, the greatest support you can give someone is to listen, understand, much like we did today. We just came out for a stroll in, in the city where we live and, and witnessed a parade and wanted to know more about it. The Tuidong Center has also organized a petition to help support NCCP. So far, it has gathered two and a half million signatures. Jason Blair, NTD News, San Francisco. The U.S. and South Korea kicked off their largest joint military exercises in about five years. The drills are designed to deter North Korea's provocative actions. The exercises will include field training, civil defense drills, and computer-simulated command post exercises. They began on Monday and will run through September 1st. North Korea has denounced the drills as a so-called rehearsal for an invasion. Last week, in response to the drill's preliminary training, North Korea fired two cruise missiles. The regime has made multiple missile launches in violation of UN resolutions this year. These include one involving its largest intercontinental ballistic missile. South Korea's newly inaugurated president, Yoon Suk-yeol, is taking a tougher stance on its communist neighbor. He's also seeking a stronger U.S. security commitment to the country's defense. Japanese lawmakers are visiting Taiwan. This after four delegations from the U.S. and Europe did the same earlier this month. All of them are focused on the Chinese communist regime's assertiveness in the Asia-Pacific region. Here's more on the latest talks. Taiwan is receiving even more overseas lawmakers, all showing support for the island. A Japanese delegation is the fifth to arrive in Taiwan this month, following three from the U.S. and one from Lithuania. The Japanese politicians met with Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen on Tuesday. If Taiwan is invaded, it will have a huge impact on democratic values in the entire Indo-Pacific region. Leading the Japanese delegation was Kiji Furuya, the head of a group of legislators seeking to strengthen Japan-Taiwan relations. He criticized China's military exercises in the past few weeks, which came as a reaction to the recent U.S. visits. China's actions are unacceptable toward the Japanese and Taiwanese people who have shared values in democracy, freedoms, rule of law and human rights. We are against such a Chinese threat. Taiwan's current government used to reside in mainland China before it fled to the island during a 1949 civil war. That's when the Communist Party rose to power in China. 
By Beijing's request, Japan recognized China in 1970 and cut diplomatic ties to Taiwan. Many other countries did the same. But the unofficial exchanges between Japan and Taiwan have remained robust, both in trade and in culture. Japan is looking to boost its defenses and counterattack power. To do it, the country is weighing whether to deploy a thousand long-range cruise missiles. That's according to a Sunday report from Japanese newspaper Yumiuri. It cited government sources as saying the missiles would come from existing arms, modified to extend their range to around 620 miles. That would make them capable of reaching the coastal areas of China and North Korea. Japan's foreign ministry did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Looking at how Japan interpreted its post-war constitution, it has long confined its military to self-defense only. Though the country has stepped up its military spending and taken a more assertive strategy in recent years. So far, long-range missiles have fallen under Japan's limits on weapons, namely those that can strike foreign soil. Tensions in the region have escalated after U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan earlier this month. Beijing claims the self-ruled island as its own territory. Since Pelosi's visit, Beijing performed military drills and launched missiles near Taiwan. One of them landed in Japan's exclusive economic zone. New research says TikTok can track every character its users type any time they use the web browser inside the app. This means if TikTok users type in passwords or credit card numbers while visiting websites through TikTok, that information could be collected by the app. Researchers say while it's common for malware and hacking software to track what users type when visiting other websites, it's unusual for major social media apps to do it. Even though the app has the ability to track that kind of information, it's unclear if it's actively tracking the keystrokes or whether the app is collecting that data. That's what the author of the research told the New York Times. His name is Felix Krauss, a privacy researcher and former Google engineer. TikTok has been embroiled in a number of controversies over its data handling. The app is one of the most popular in the U.S., with an estimated 80 million monthly users in the country. At the same time, its parent company is based in China. Under Chinese law, companies have to hand over user data to the communist regime if officials ask for it. TikTok says it stores American user data in Virginia, with backups in Singapore. But a BuzzFeed report says the company's engineers in China had access to U.S. user data last year. Responding to the new research about collecting user keystrokes, TikTok called it incorrect and misleading and said the feature is for debugging, troubleshooting and performance monitoring. Coming up, the U.S. depends on China for a key element needed in weapons production, but it's becoming an issue as tensions rise between the two world powers. We sat down with Ann Bridges, author of Groundbreaking, America's new quest for mineral independence and rare metal. For more on how that reliance started and what's being done to change it, find out more in just a minute here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. 
the U.S. used to lead the world in producing rare earth elements. The materials are critical for crafting weapons, mobile phones, and computers. But now, the U.S. mostly depends on China for the resources. We sat down with Anne Bridges, author of Groundbreaking, America's New Quest for Mineral Independence and Rare Metal, to find out more. Looking at history, it seems the U.S. used to be the leaders in this area, especially during the Cold War. But since then, it's now been handed over to China. And it seems part of that was all this concern about the environment and the processing will pro you know, lead to global warming and all that. So we put it over in other countries. So given that angle and the current administration's push for really helping the environment and the climate agenda, is there a balance that can be achieved to move the processing here with all those steps? Well, this is when uh, Mao uh, had finally died and China was coming out of the great lockdown and Deng Xiaoping said, you know, wow, well, we have rare earths. Let me let's help and let's let's control that pipeline, similar to the way um, the, uh, the Arab countries controlled the oil. And so you see this trade off now. And, and if you really want to get into some political uh, what-ifs, I wonder sometimes if the whole push for green um, was really being uh, manipulated, suggested by uh, the Chinese, because in essence, where they've got the world is over a barrel. We now have all committed to green, lithium-ion, uh, all these batteries that require uh, China's participation and their manufacturing, and we've given up uh, drilling for oil and having our own energy, um, all under this concept that we're damaging the air and the environment. And it's it's kind of odd when you really think about it. So given all that, and especially how the U.S. right now has this environmental protection agenda in place, is there a way to balance the two? Is it moving production maybe to a different country, or how would that play out? Well, I think the American people need to, they need to be aware of what the trade-offs are. Um, it's stark. It's okay. So you want your smartphone and you want it for cheap, um, or you want your electric vehicle, but you don't want to pay more than $50,000. That's fine. But if that's the case and you need to be aware that there are kids in Africa that are, you know, four-year-old kids that are working as slaves to dig out cobalt for your car. Uh, there are uh, horrendous working conditions around the world and they're polluting. You know, uh, China is using coal again, dirty coal, in order to produce the energy in order to run the manufacturing plant. Well, if the idea is to clean up the air around the globe, how is this helping anything? The America has the highest environmental standards and we know that if we um, open a factory, they're going to have to have clean output. That's just the way it is. So there's no reason that is um, stopping us from doing that, except for the political will and, frankly, the willingness to take on the environmental lawsuits, because they have come up with every way possible to block development, whether it's blowing up pipelines uh, in Minnesota, for example, where they're trying to develop nickel. Um, it, it's they, they used to do it all the time. It's a great place. They can ship down uh, the Great Lakes um, in terms of just, just use of the natural resources that Minnesota is blessed with. Nickel is needed for electric vehicles. And they've said, well, there might be some uh, damage to water that's under the earth, right? So deep sea that might leak into the lake. Well, when we're dealing with might and could and what if, 
this is not a way to run a country. Um, I don't think the, the government should be involved in industrial policy, but it's certainly not a way to allow our economy to thrive by being afraid of the future, which is what that is. And so right now it seems China is the only country that can produce every one of these rare earth minerals. So given the current trajectory that the U.S. is on, what does that, what does that mean going forward if we stay on this trajectory? Well, there have been people like myself and others talking about this since 2010. I think that was a big wake-up call. Um, there has been some investment from the federal government to uh, fund R&D, to do some pilot programs, to um, try some new technologies. There is an effort from the private industry to try to come up with uh, their own vertical supply chain. So you see uh, General Motors, for example, has been trying to buy output of specific mines. So they are, that, that pipeline is starting to be filled. Uh, presumably, the Pentagon is working behind the scenes in secret with some of their defense contractors to try to resolve this issue, um, have vetted uh, suppliers, for example, who may or may not be American, but are able to supply the high tech. So there is investment dollars going in, but it's mostly from the federal level. Unfortunately, the um, you know I'm here in Silicon Valley and the venture capitalists here, uh, they're looking for very short uh, returns on their investment and certainly some certainty. And when a mine may take anywhere from five to 20 years, and maybe even after that point, they won't be approved. And not just mining, but the processing, the facilities and manufacturing plants, they walk away. They say, never mind, we're not, we're not going to bother. We can make money elsewhere, which is true. So the investment dollars and the attraction of the investment and the commitment to stay with a long-term new industry um, needs to be supported more. I think that the new uh, bills that have come out are trying to show that there is some interest, but the frankly, the deadlines that they're putting, the, the goals of 2030 and 2040, they're unrealistic. There, there's no way an, an entire new industry can come up and happen uh, in that short a period of time. And staying in the solution vein, it seems right now almost we're kind of copying the Chinese regime, right? They have these benchmarks, now we have benchmarks. But it seems, especially when it comes to these communist dictatorships, the U.S. is a country with, say, laws and human rights and all these things. So what can the U.S. do without turning ourselves into that kind of a regime, but still be able to compete with something that's like so top down? Well, I guess you have to believe in capitalism versus communism and the economic uh, systems. Uh, capitalism, if you go back, has shown has lifted more people out of poverty than any other system in the world. You know, I frankly don't trust a lot of the information coming out of China at this point. They have censorship. They have propaganda. Um, people I talk to in California who have visited there uh, whisper to me and tell me how what it, what's really going on. But you cannot say that publicly. And, and so how, how successful is it? Uh, you, you can always create a Ponzi scheme, in essence, for many years, if not decades, but eventually it collapses. And we saw this with the Soviet Union, uh, with the Cold War, that, that when finally push came to shove, the Soviet Union was nothing. They did not have the kind of military might that they, they claimed. Think um, North Korea, you know, he shoots off a, a missile occasionally and says, I'm as good as everyone else. Well, no. Um, but I also think the U.S. needs to be very aware of the fact that 
our more recent military conflicts have been with uh, regimes that have not had any military really at all. You know, I mean, we went into Iraq, we went into Iran, Afghanistan. These are countries that really had not even tried to have some sophisticated technology. China has. Uh, you know, they've shot to the moon. They are developing a submarine fleet. I think it would be foolish for us to ignore that completely. But I think that we have to say, just like we do with the Soviet Union, capitalism is the best thing. We need to let our entrepreneurs and business people thrive and do what they do best, but not necessarily compromise um, every step along the way and accept slave labor and accept black market and accept uh, shutting our eyes to the problems that these cheaper products have. Um, you can buy American again, and we can grow and, and produce the energy and the products we need. We just need to have the commitment to do so. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching and see you tomorrow. I can't imagine what the affidavit would say to justify a seizure that broad. There was essentially nothing in the, in the body of this very classified document that gave any evidence that Trump was a Russian asset. That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. All of these documents I'm taking are declassified. I mean, this is, this is not some bureaucratic process. I don't even know why that was necessary. I think it's just part of the tactics to try to increase pressure on those around President Trump. My colleague, Peter Navarro, is arrested on a misdemeanor by an FBI SWAT team at Reagan Airport. Uh, on January 25th, 2019, uh, 29 fully SWAT-clad FBI agents who arrived in 17 armored vehicles uh, with a government helicopter overhead and two FBI boats pulling up to the dock behind my house. I gather the purpose of this was intimidation. Donald Trump, as a human being, as a man who is now a politician, is not owned by anybody. And that's what makes him very dangerous. He is lethal to the vested interests in this city, left and right.